0: Good morning. This morning's Bible reading is from John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat.
1: What an interesting story that we're going to get to here in just a moment. I know many of you saw the inauguration this past week. So you know that the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir uh, sang the Battle Hymn of the Republic A rousing song, and it really inspired the crowd. Do you know that that song was written right here in this great city, Washington, D.C., at the Willard Hotel in November of 1861? And it's a song about God's judgment. It's a song about God's judgment. So uh, the writer, Julia Ward Howe, had when was re- reviewing troops as they were heading out and they were singing this song john brown's body maybe you're familiar with that and a minister turned to her and said you need to write better words to that tune that's a catchy tune you need to write better words and so right here at the willard hotel at 15th and pennsylvania avenue she woke up very early one morning. she could not sleep like god woke her up and she just started she could even see she just started scribbling the notes on a piece of paper and that song has become so popular and so inspiring to so many people. President Lincoln, when he heard the song, I don't know if it was his first time or that he heard the song or whatever, but he heard it one time and it hit him so strongly, he was weeping. And when the person got done singing the solo of it, he just screamed out, sing it again. So they sang it again because he's the President of the United States. But I just want to read you some of the words of this song. It's about God's judgment. It's going to pertain to what we talk about today. He has loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible Swift sword, he is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Listen to this part. Oh, be swift, my soul to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on, his truth is marching on. Do you catch that part? It's about judgment, but you catch the part where it said. Be swift to answer him. We're going to talk about how we answer God this morning. This man in this story was asked a question. How did he answer? And we have to ask ourselves, how do we answer God? When God comes to us and speaks to us through his word, what is our answer back to God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us through your powerful word this morning. Guide us. Help us to give the answer that we should give you. In Christ's name, amen. Now, um, I want to remind you that the first two weeks of this series about life, we're talking about how to live abundant life because the Gospel of John is all about life. you are reading the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I've come to give you life, life to the full. I've come to give you abundant life. That, that I said in the first couple of weeks, I said, don't get too mad too early. Remember how I said that? Don't get too mad too Like, wait all the way to the end and then get mad about what you should really get mad about, Right? So, some of us, some of us really lean towards grace. We lean towards gospel. And that's where the gospel of John starts. It starts all about the gospel. And we like that. We like hearing things, what we've said about the gospel, where the gospel means, in contrast to religion, is that God accepts the bad and he rejects the good and we're all sinners and we just, this is just the way it is. And so we're, we're, okay, and so it's been like a love fest, for the first three weeks of this, some of us lean more towards the truth side. We're a little more into the judgment. I, we like there's a lot of us that like hellfire and brimstone. And so the first three weeks hasn't been maybe it's not just right up our alley is what I'm trying to say. You know you know what I'm saying? Okay. Today is going to be a little different. All right. So for those of us who lean so much on the grace side of things, we have to know. That what, as the Bible begins, everybody, as the Bible begins, the Gospel of John here at least, it begins, there is a very important sequencing of words that we must notice. You find it in chapter 1, verses 14, 15, 16, 17, it says it repeatedly. It says, Jesus Christ came full of grace and truth, sequencing, grace, gospel, spirit, number one, right on its heels, truth has to come. You find that again. You find it again in John chapter 3. You must be born again spiritually. It speaks of gospel. So you, then John chapter four, we talked about last week. How do we worship God? We worship God in what truth and spirit? No, we worship God in spirit. Number one, truth. Number two, you have if you don't start, if you start with truth, you become self-righteous and you don't get a new nature. That's what happens. But if you don't have truth, what you have is chaos. So there's spirit and In truth, that sequencing of words is really important. The Holy Spirit is called what? Does anybody know in the Gospel of John? The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The spirit, the sequencing, everything is important in the Gospel of John. So, if, if the Bible, if the Bible, if the words of Christ, if church kind of always just like affirms everything I believe, about if it just if it's just like a love fest all the time and it doesn't disturb me you know that's a big problem right because if i go and i read the bible or i go to church and what i hear is it's just oh man it's just always just oh yeah i be, that's right amen 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 if we're doing that all the time you know we have a problem because actually it's not god we're dealing with there we have become god did it make sense what i just said if God is God, there should be some problems every now and then. It's a challenge. It should disturb me. There's, there should be some times that I walk out of church and I'm like, I'm frustrated. I don't like that. Because if it's God, that's what should really happen. This, this might be one of those days. It might be one of those days for you. No. <laughs> Romans 3.20 Romans says this, for no one can ever be made right with god by doing what the law commands watch this watch the law simply shows us how sinful we are oh that's not a pleasant experience look at the way it says it in james chapter one do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself do what it says do what the bible says anyone who listens to the word check this out the way it describes the bible Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror, and after looking goes away and immediately forgets what he looked. What it says? It says the Bible is like a mirror. You get up in the morning. And you look in the mirror and sometimes you say, oh, man, I look good. I feel good. It's awesome. That's sometimes what the Bible does us. it comforts us, makes us feel good. And then sometimes we get up in the morning, we look in the mirror and say, oh, my gosh, I got a big zit hanging off my nose. I look terrible. That's the Bible. The Bible's a mirror. And sometimes the mirror is comforting. And sometimes it just, oh, it's good. It's like a baby blanket or a pacifier or a warm glass of milk. That's what it does to us. And sometimes it's very disturbing. Sometimes it disturbs us, it frustrates us and challenges us, but that only makes sense, doesn't everybody? Because that's God. We are not God. God is God and he's other than us. He is not us. Let's put it this way. Like, let's say God is the greatest quarterback coach in the world and you want to be the greatest quarterback in the world. God says, let's, let's look at some game film about how your quarterbacking is going. You sit down, you say, okay, God, do I need to change anything? He says, anything. You need to change everything. You need to change everything. Now, we don't have a problem with that, would we? If we want, whatever our field is, whatever our hobby is, if we want to be, we would hire, you know, if we could, get me the greatest coach. We listen to everything and say, Michael Jordan, tell me about basketball. You know, I'm an idiot. Michael Jordan, tell me everything I want to know. But we go to God and for some reason we think he's got to affirm everything that we already believe. And if he doesn't, there's a problem. And that's not true. We can't treat God less than less than we treat all the experts in our world. Now, why, why does God want to challenge us, disturb us, sometimes frustrate us, and change us? Because God loves us. One thing about the advantage of having kids—oh my gosh—it totally changes your viewpoint. Like I couldn't see this with my parents. But now I understand everything as I look at my kids. I love my kids so much, I want nothing but the best for them. I do not want mediocrity for them. I do not. I will kill my, I will sacrifice, every, I will whatever it takes so that my kids can have the best. You, show me you parents out there, like you didn't realize it before, now you have a kid like, oh man, I totally get what you're saying. Now they can't see it. I can't see it with God sometimes, but God, like the best loving parent that there's ever been, looks at me and says, I don't want to, I don't want you to settle for mediocrity. Like Jesus, I will die so that you could live the best possible life. Is that making sense? So this is why he does it, because he loves us. He's not telling us hey, you need to change some of the way you think or some things you do just because, oh, man, you need to change it and do things my way and you're a filthy, rotten sinner. No, God looks at us. His love is pouring out of his heart because he wants the best for us, not mediocrity. That's a completely different. Sometimes we get this conjure up these ideas of this wrathful, angry God up there who's just out to get us with lightning bolts. God is there with tremendous love wanting to help us and change us now let's get to the story okay because he talks about an abundant life john chapter 10 a very interesting question is posed here right at the beginning god asked the man do you want to get well now we're told that he knows he's known the man's been by this pool for a long time waiting to get in the water what kind of question is that to ask who do you want to get well who would ask somebody that question Would you go into a hospital? Would you go into a hospital where you know that people are just tremendously ill, like had tremendous? Hey, would you like to get well? Well, I mean, they would laugh you out of the room. What are you crazy? What do you think? Of course, I want to get well. Jesus asked him this question: Do you want to get well? He's been lying there for 38 years, but here's the thing: He doesn't answer yes. Like the obvious answer is yes yes i want to get well he doesn't answer the question all he gives is an excuse instead of saying yes i want to get well he gives it there's nobody here to take me into the pool it's a reasonable excuse okay it's reasonable but it's still an excuse and it's not a yes and here's what i've realized about myself about myself sometimes i don't want to get well i just want to complain and stay the same Sometimes I don't want to get well. I just want to complain and stay the same. I don't have anybody to drag me into the pool. So this is why I'm the way, you know, I would have an abundant life if it wasn't for my job. I would have an abundant life if it wasn't for my spouse. I would have an abundant life if it wasn't for the fact that I was single or I didn't. I, I just need more money. Or I need better help. Whatever it might be. There's always something. If I just had a good church, I'd have an abundant life. The pastor would preach better messages. I'd have an abundant life, right? I'd have it. I'd have it. Here's the thing that we need to know about the abundant life. The power of the Holy Spirit is not constrained by people or circumstances. Not in the Bible the only thing that constrains the power of the holy spirit pouring into my soul is me psalm 23 famous psalm right Yea, though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death now it doesn't get much worse than the valley of shadow of death would you agree even though i'm right in front of my enemies who just hate me they're seething with hatred yet my cup overflows 139th Psalm, even if I make my bed in the deepest pit on earth, the worst possible place, God, you are there with me. Nothing constrains the power of the Holy Spirit to give us abundant life, not people, not circumstances. We can't complain. If, if you haven't a complaint like me, if you're anything like me and you like to just complain, oh man, it's this and it's this and it's this. What God says to us, word is no, it's not there's only one thing stopping abundant life and our lives and that is us the man makes an excuse now 38 years here's the thing about the gospel of john that i've learned absolutely nothing is random like so i would read that years ago and say, well 38 years okay thanks for that information means absolutely nothing let's move on 38 years what is 30 38 38 30 deuteronomy chapter 2 verse number 14 says the children of israel the israelites wandered in the desert because they wavered because of their unbelief for 38 years. Do you get the connection this man? His wavering, his indecision, his apathy, they could not cross over into this abundant life, promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey because of their wavering, their wavering. God is coming, battle him a republic, and saying, I am coming, how are you going to answer me? Be swift to answer God. How will you answer? Yes, I want to be made well. Art you know what? I'm not sure if I want to be made well. The Israelites in the desert and sometimes like, yes, God, we want to follow you with all of our hearts and do exactly what you want. And then sometimes like, we're not sure if we want to follow you with all of our hearts. There was so much indecision. God, here's our number. Call us. Maybe. Right? <laughs> Call me, maybe. You're looking pretty hot tonight, but I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow night. Call me, maybe. All right. So what we see here, what we see here is that Jesus Christ, after this story, this is so important because what happens in this healing? We're. We're not even going to dig in so much of the healing. We're going to do that in in a while to come. Later on, another Sunday ahead of us, we're going to do that. But that story about the healing totally sets up what Jesus Christ does later throughout the rest of the entire chapter, because what he does is he does this full court press about the fact that he is God. Why is that so important? Listen, here's why it's so important. Listen, when we respect God as God, like the authority, like he's really God, not an advisor, He's not in a consultant. He's not a baby blanket or a pacifier. Someone just makes us feel good. But he's God, God, right? Somebody that you respect that much. Big, big. When you respect God that much, you won't waver. But when God is small in your eyes, you'll waver. Because you don't respect God that much. That's what I've done with my life. When God has been big, really big. Like Jesus points out in John chapter 5. I don't waver. But when God becomes small in my eyes and I don't have that respect for God, I'll waver all over the place. So let's look at what Jesus Christ does. First thing he does here, it says, uh, I have the verses written down for you. John chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 This is what Jesus does. They were very mad at Jesus because he healed this man on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And they know that only God is Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus Christ says to them, my father is always at work to this very day. Now, what did they believe? All human beings have to rest. And they had all these regulations about resting on the Sabbath. But they believed this. They believed that God only rested from creative work. But God is always working. I put that verse in there for you. Isaiah chapter 40. God never tires. He never stops working. God's always working. And so Jesus says. Because God's working. I am working. So Jesus says. My father is always at work to this very day. And I too am working. And for this reason. The Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Look. Jesus is on the play playing field with these guys. It, it's one thing for us to stand in the up in the bleachers and think, OK, I wonder what's really going on down there on the field. Is Jesus really saying that he is God? They had no misunderstanding. They were so clear that he was saying, I am divine, that they're ready to kill him. And they're trying very hard to kill him because they're so sure of that fact. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling god his own father making himself equal with god so if you want to write this in write this in on the first one god is working this is what jesus christ is saying god is working i am working i am god god is working i am working i am god until we trust jesus god god with the authority over our lives we won't really live until god becomes god in our life so jesus christ becomes god and we has we respect him that way is what he's saying we thought you are God until we do that. We won't really live. Because the only way we can live is to follow in his ways because he created us. This is what Jesus Christ is saying. When Jesus challenges me on things that are really disturbing in my life, beliefs, habits, practices, priorities. When he challenges me on that stuff, if I have a small view of God, God isn't really good. I'm just going to turn my back and walk away. Has anybody ever done that to you before? No, have you ever seen that happen before he said don't turn your back on me well it's a respect issue we won't turn our backs on jesus christ if we truly respect him. we'll say oh, you know you are the authority the king and i'm going to listen to what you have to say i won't turn my back on you this is what christ is saying here's the second thing that he says here god gives life i give life i am god they firmly believe the only person who could give life was God, right from the scriptures. Right from the scriptures, Jesus says, John five twenty one. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. Genesis two seven says that God and God alone breathe the breath of life into people. Third thing He says here, God judges i judge therefore i am god john 5 22 jesus says these words to them moreover the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son we're told in genesis 18:25, will not the judge of all the earth god won't he do the right thing he is the judge and they knew this they knew this from their scriptures very well god is a judge god gives life god never stops working and Jesus is saying i am god i am god god judges i judge i am god Jesus is saying it every which way that he possibly can that he needs to be respected as the authority because he is God. You ever read that book Green Eggs and Ham? Dr. Seuss. This is what Jesus is doing. He's covering all the bases. Do you like Green Eggs and Ham on a plane? How about on a train, in a boat, in a car, up in a tree? Just saying. Do you understand? I judge. I give life. I never stop. Working, I am God. You understand? How many? How many different ways have to say He is boxing them in. He's boxing us in. He's boxing us into a point where we're stuck in a corner, and we have to either say, "You're not a good man. You're not a good man. You're 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 crazy. You're a liar," or you are God, because it's clear. No good people claim to be Almighty God this definitively, and be a good man unless they're not right. You can't be a good person and lie that much. You can't be a good person and be committed to lying about who you are. And he's boxing them. He's saying, it's decision time. It's decision time. Over and over again, he said, I am God, I am God, I am God. So finally, write this one in. Jesus is saying, God is God. I am God. And now you, me, us, we have a decision to make about God. Jesus Christ says, he who is not with me is against me jesus says it's for judgment that i have come into this world his truth is marching on and we have a decision to make about how we will answer jesus christ jesus says to us we should repent of our sins we should make him the lord we should make him the king of our lives and we should seek to live as he wants us to live he says jump we say how high this is what he's saying in john chapter five it starts with grace it starts with the gospel, but the truth has to come in. It has to come in. And this is where he is coming in here in John chapter five, saying, if we really want to live, if we really, really, really want to live, have that abundant life, we can. But we need both spirit and we need truth. We need truth. And there's judgment with that. There's a decision with that. We have to make that just so. All right. Let's take a quick time out. I want to say three quick things because you might be saying right now, John, this is the exact problem I have, or the exact problem my family has, the exact problem my friends have with you Christians. You Christians think that you alone have found the answer. And I find that offensive. My friends find that offensive. I just want to say three quick things. This is not a full out assault on that whole thought there, but just three things to think about. First one is this. So does this claim. So does Buddhism Islam right hinduism all believe exclusively that they have the way just like christianity does okay but christianity takes the major heat everybody else is believing in any other religion you're going to mention they all believe there is an exclusive so let's throw that out number two thing i want you to think about is this some christians arrogantly and obnoxiously push jesus christ on other people You've seen it happen or you've been embarrassed or it's happened to you. Can we just agree right now that those people are jerks and be done with that part of the conversation? Can we say just, okay, okay, well, I'm going to base my life, my entire eternity because somebody's a jerk. Hey, there's a lot of jerks out there. All right, let's get over that. All right, let's put that to bed. Yes, it exists. Yes, they're, okay, gotcha. They are. And they're probably people who took truth first before the gospel. It's really important. That's why John starts with gospel first. Because if you start with truth first, you become self-righteous, arrogant, repugnant. You become a Pharisee. That's what happens. That's why it's so important in the sequencing of words. That's the second thing. Third thing. I want to tell you a story. Third thing is a story. Maybe you've heard this story. You probably have heard this story. This story has all kinds of application, different points. I want to tell you the way that I have heard it. It's the story of the elephant and the four blind men. All right? So the way I've heard it told before is you got... This big old whopping elephant. And there's four blind men. The four blind men represent the four major religions of the world. And these four blind men, they bump up against this, against this elephant. And they all have a different under and the elephant represents God, right? They all have a different understanding of who God is according to where they grab a hold of that elephant. So the first guy grabs a hold of the trunk and he says, Oh my goodness, God is long and slender and really flexible, right? That's what God is like. And the second person bumps up against the side of the elephant and says, Oh my goodness, God is like a big wall. And the third guy gets a hold of the leg of the elephant and says, Well, God is like a big, strong tree. And the final one grabs a hold of the elephant's ear and says, well, it's clear that God is just kind of floppy. You know, that's what God is like. And the person, the person standing watching all of this, who can see the four blind men, you know, I mean, it's wonderful. They see all this. They say, oh, my goodness, it's all the same God. Has anybody ever said to you, it's all the same God? Anybody at all? It's all anybody. Somebody, somebody out there has heard this before. Right. Please. Thank you. Right. It's all the same God. I can just see it. I can see it. It's all the same God. They just have their own different understanding of God. Now it makes sense. All roads lead to Rome. It's all the same God. Do you know what the subtle problem with that is? you understand what the subtle, tremendous problem? We look at some... Let's take the Christian. I don't know which part of the elephant the Christian got a hold of. What part of Jesus got a hold of the elephant that he made. But... uh, whatever part he got a hold of so we say it's so wrong for the for jesus to say that he is the way the truth and the light that that's that's it's you know that is so he's not enlightened to the truth now you ready what's the problem with the person standing back and they have grasped all that and they're offended that somebody would be that arrogant and so would say that they're so much more enlightened than everybody else come on you got it don't you They're standing back and they can see all this. So somebody says, oh, it's all the same, God, which has been said to me many times. They're saying, I, the one who can see something that nobody else can see, I am the truly enlightened one. So we get upset with others and we say, how can you say that you're the only enlightened one when the person who believes this way says, I am more enlightened than anybody else on the planet because all of them are blind. Every single one of the founders of great religions are blind But if they could only be me if they could only be me, but they're so arrogant How arrogant and unenlightened you are but they could just be me and all of my pride and arrogance I am the only true one that can see the light It doesn't work does it Where are we what are we left with everybody we're left with truth We're left with truth we're left with evidence. That's why the Gospel of John is written constantly in legal language. Eyewitness. Over and over you read reading the Gospel of John. Eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony testimony, testimony. testimony. Like a court case. Like a lawyer. This is the way he's right in. Now, we have dealt with all the evidence. We, not all of it. We've dealt with some of the evidence before. And we will deal with more evidence in the future. Today I want to deal with the will. I want to do with the world. There's so there's mountain. I just want you to know, in case you've never been before. Well, what is there? Is there a lot of? There's a tremendous evidence about the. I'm I'm doing a lecture series right now. Watch, I'm participating in it about the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know what? And it's all about finding the Bible. But people, not Christian, just people call it the greatest. Find that we've ever had in in our modern age and it's all about the Bible. we have mountains of evidence That validate the claims of Jesus Christ from ancient writings and the scriptures the Hebrew Bible Mountains of evidence look we don't take all that data. We don't need somebody walks up to you and they say look I found this new diet pill you say does it work? Yes, okay Give it to me and we take it in we say we have no data We don't research it and we like consume it into our bodies. We could be like killing ourselves, right? But when it comes to Christianity and we have mountains of data, we're like, it's not enough. I don't want to deal with evidence this morning. I want to deal with one clear thing from this story of this guy, our wills. I want to read you. Uh, Look, if you have your Bible, John 5, 39 and 40. Jesus is talking to this group, these Pharisees and whatever. They had all the data. They had it. It was right in their faces. And this is what he says to them. This is all about our wills. Check out what he says. Verse 39. And 40. You diligently study the scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. Now watch what he says. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Now notice, here it comes. Here it Verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to have life. Yet you refuse. When he says that there, he is speaking about their wills they refuse to come because they have willed not to see the evidence they have willed it in themselves that they are not going to see the evidence that has been presented so sometimes we we refuse to see it that jesus christ is the way to salvation Evidence could be all over in front of me. I refuse to. sometimes in my life. I refuse to see that my lack of abundant life is on me and not on anybody else who won't drag me into the pool. I sometimes refuse because I will myself. I refuse to see it that the life I'm living, I'm living in sin that I need to change my lifestyle and my habits and my attitudes. But I refuse. I say, oh, well, I'm not really Sure. And I convince myself that I'm not really sure. And then I think one day when I stand before God, I'll say, I'll say, well, why did you do this? It's clear it's sin. I said, why was that? I didn't know. Because I refuse to know. I convince myself. I'm not sure that Jesus is God. I'm not sure that I should change this habit. I'm not sure that I should change something about my life. Because you know what? I really don't know. The problem is we refuse to see it. Um, we have this dog living in our home. All right? And it gives me lots of illustrations. But I just want to say something here about the dog. It's my wife's dog and my daughter's dog. And they just love that dog. They love the dog so much. And he, I want to tell you something they, they see in this dog. They'll come home and they're just so happy. And they cuddle the dog. And they'll say the dog's name is Butterscotch. They say, Butterscotch, you're so funny. Butterscotch, you're always smiling. You're always laughing. You're always joking, Butterscotch. You're la- look at you, you're so happy, you know. And they, what they see in the dog is a big smile and happiness, you know. And I look at the dog and all I see is, there's no expression. I see a dog that gets up from a 12-hour nap to go to bed for the night, and who has not has nothing, and only wants to bark. And that's what I see. But what they see is a dog that's happy and laughing and joking, and all that. That's what they see. I came home. I came home one night, and 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 they were quiet in the house. And I said, "What's up?" They said, Shh, "Just take it easy. Be quiet because the dog is upset. The dog's depressed." I said, "The dog's depressed." <laughs> What's the dog depressed about? The dog had a haircut today. It was a bad haircut, and the dog is very upset and is ashamed that anybody would see her haircut. I see nothing of that. They have willed themselves that I could come home and the dog could be doing stand-up comedy in our living room, right? And I would still not see that the dog is funny. Do you you understand what I'm saying? They have willed to see something that's not true, and I have probably willed myself to see something that's, you know, you understand? We're on two, both uh, ends are completely wrong. But what I want to say to you is, what I want to say to you is, our wills are very strong. And God can present us evidence after evidence after evidence about what about what Jesus Christ wants to do in our lives. And if we don't get our wills under control and accept the truth of that, we'll never see. I mean, if you're just firmly committed that Jesus is not going to be the king of your life, well, if you've willed that, that's probably the way it's going to be for you. If you've willed it, you know what? I'm not going to make these changes. That's what it's going to be for you. I'm going to end. I'm almost done. I just want to end with a story of my own life, so I had sensed a call to ministry many, many years ago, many years ago, uh, starting when I was like 16 or 17, toward the end of my high school days. Um, here's what ministry represented to me, Don't no deep psychoanalysis or anything, I just wanna tell you what it, it, what it represented to me, all right, everybody? ministry has always represented to me total dependence and trust on God like if i was going to be in the ministry i wouldn't see this for anybody else but for me personally me personally to be in the ministry meant that i had to totally trust and depend on God it meant it meant to me in many ways that i could work as hard as i wanted to work but the outcome was completely up in the air like like if, if i did another job or another business or what you you know what i'm saying i could get an a in building widgets and there would be a controllable outcome. Am I making sense? There'd be a control. And like if, like if I built the best iPad in the world, probably it would sell a lot. You understand what I'm saying? All right. But in ministry, what is always represented, I could give a thousand percent effort and the outcome would be totally up in the air. All right. So it meant total trust, total dependence. And I felt God calling me that way. But because of my struggle with that. i convinced myself that i wasn't sure that god called me and so for years and years in the ministry like if this is the dividing line i was like in and out and i i just rode that and then i had all kinds of problems around my pool nobody dragging me into the water i mean there was issues of churches that i worked in and that just confirmed my thing you know other pastors and problems and church people and problems and so you know what that just like fed into that whole thing well yes i should you know so when my son was born um we needed you know we needed to do something more uh for money because there was going to be there was going to be a real problem gonna be short on money so we had, had we had to do something and uh I thought, well, the only thing obvious that I can do is I need to, my brother does storefront window cleaning, I thought for 35 bucks, I can scrounge up $35 bucks. i will get a squeegee and a mop and get a bunch of cards, and that's what I did, I went out and, and, and you know, it was crazy, and I was like, oh man, I had to do all this work, because I'm in seminary at the time, on staff at a church full time at the time, and now I started this little side business, it was crazy, and I complained and complained and complained, but you know what, I didn't want things to change, I wanted them to stay the same, because at least I can control this thing, are you following me? I can control, the, I can't control ministry but i can totally control this and it wasn't six months a year whatever later before we knew it the the, the company grew and grew and grew and grew we had five trucks we had 15 20 employees right we were just we just rolling and i should have been really happy because i could control that outcome But i was really unhappy and it wasn't unhappy because i was just really super busy which i was really super busy you know what the problem was i didn't respect god i had no respect for god God clearly said, hey, this is the way I want you to go. But because God was small in my eyes, he wasn't God, God, because he was small in my eyes. I thought, you know what, God, you don't know what you're talking about. The way to real living and life is for me to go out and do something and get a reward from it. And the whole time God is just saying, just trust in me. About 10 or 12 years ago or something like that, finally, I just, I just, I, I just, I said, that's it. I gave up. He was really patient with me. He took me through some tough times too, but he was patient with me. And finally, I said, "You know what, God? I'm going to respect you as God." And I'm telling you, everybody, the moment I did that and I finally respected God as God and I folded my will, like I would not—I could feel it. Life, life. Look what Jesus says in John three eighteen. Really important. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. What? Right, ready? But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. That was me, everybody. I'm not talking about condemned as far as salvation. I'm just talking about condemned as far as living a full, free life that God wanted me to live. Because I refused to respect him. I refused. There there was stuff that I would say, well, I'm not sure. I don't know if this is what God called me to. But you know what? The real answer was: I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know. We will never live a full abundant life until we're willing to deal with what we don't want to know. We will never live an abundant life until we deal with what we don't want to know because that's where God is coming after us and we can't claim apathy or indecision. He's coming for an answer. He's coming for an answer of us. How will we answer him? Truth has to come. Why does he do this? Because he 's a loving parent and he doesn't want mediocrity for us music team's going to come they're going to sing a final song and i'm going to close up with a prayer so just just jump right on up here. i'm going to tell you what they're going to sing okay they're singing about what's the name of song ryan so, song name title something about god's love let me tell you what's in the song i say what's in the song right it talks about listen to this it talks about god's love god's love comes after us it's like a hurricane God's love is like a hurricane, and we're bending under. That's how God comes to us sometimes, like a hurricane, like a tornado. And we have to do what? God is not a pacifier or a baby blanket to us all the time. Sometimes God just comforts us, and we say, oh, God, that just feels so good. But a lot of times, that spirit, sometimes God comes along with his truth. And he comes in like a tornado, like a hurricane. He says, will you bend? Will you bend? And we won't really live. Until we bend. I want to encourage you today. If you have never dealt with Jesus Christ being God. And your Savior. Deal with it. Prayer teams over here. If there is something that you are battling with in your own life. Man deal with it. God wants you to live. I want you to live. It is the only way to live. Let's stand and uh, pray. And we will sing. Heavenly Father. Thank you so much God. uh, For your word. I just want to pray for every single one of us in this room. That you are confronting us with something today about your deity, about your lordship, or about a lifestyle decision or a priority. You're dealing with us. Are you number one, God? You are coming and asking for an answer. And we just can't sit back and say, well, I don't know. I don't know. We have got to step up because one day you're going to see through every excuse we make and you're going to hold us to judgment. Help us, Lord, to make the right decision this morning. In Christ's name, amen.